definitely in a way. I remember, you know, you guys are just an awesome group that welcomed me in when I was coming into church, and I so much appreciate that. And um, so it's an honor to be here. I thank Brother Barkus, even though he's not here, for letting me do this. And Brother Titus, you're awesome too. So, And I just appreciate everybody in this group. So it's really cool to be down here. Um, I won't be very long. I'll be very short. So you can take that either way. Um, but I won't be long as I speak either. So... Um, I'm going to go to John 15, 12, if you want to open up your Bibles. When you're there, just say, I'm there. All right. Here is a suggestion. Love one another as you feel is good. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his 10% for his friends. You are my friends, so it would be great if you'd do a super good job doing what I tell you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was a different version. No, let me read the right version here. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends if you do, if you do whatsoever I command you. I want to talk to you tonight about the law of love. The law of love, and I need Jesus, so if you guys would pray for me, that I would not be nervous, but that God would help me and minister to you guys tonight. So, as we live, there's two, oh yeah, sorry, you guys can sit. I think, I, I, I spoke um, on the spur of the moment in chapel, and I did that same thing. I kept everybody standing. I have to work on that. But um, there's basically two, uh, two governing things that a person can go by in life two governing things that people do go by. One is self, and the other is God's way. Um, we're certainly inclined to, you know, do what pleases us, do what pleases the flesh. It's our nature. Nobody has to has to think about following the flesh. It just happens. Um, I'm sure you guys are like me. I wake up, and and the flesh is there, and and it's easy to without thinking about it, just be drawn to the things of the flesh. And there's so many people who don't realize they're caught in that perpetual cycle. And their whole life is centered around pleasing themselves, centered around gratifying their desires. And, and even if it's not just pure pleasure-seeking, we can even get caught up in fleshly works in the church. And even doing good works, we can get caught up for the wrong reasons, the wrong motivation. And when you're working with your own hands, trying to do your own thing, 
I've come to find out through doing wrong things. Let, let the kids come in. It's okay. But I found out from doing the wrong thing that that um, your hand is only able to get you one of two things. If you are able to work with your hand and you get what you want, you're inclined to pride. You're inclined to self-righteousness. You're inclined to stop caring about other people. And on the other side, if you work with your hand and you don't get what you want, you're inclined to insecurity. You fear you feel inadequate and worthless because you tried your own way and you didn't get it. So either way, when you're doing it your own way, it's not a good result. And to truly love, you cannot have this self-focus, this self, this, this viewpoint all about yourself. So in Luke 9.23-25, through 25, Jesus says that if you lose your life for my sake, you will gain it. If you'll lose your life, and it's such a foreign concept. And even now, First Corinthians thirteen three talks about a person who, you know, if I give all my money to the poor, right? If I if I give myself to be burned and I don't have love, then I'm not getting it right. And, and it's easy to fall into that when you're doing it how you think it should be done. And that could be driven by a lot of different things. It could be that you're trying to do an extra good job with works because you just don't quite have things settled in your heart. You don't have things settled that you are loved, so maybe you're working for that love in a different way. Um, it's funny you know, we can so easily, if we don't respect ourselves, we try to make things up. We try to try to work at at uh, getting that respect in some way. And it's so important that before we can serve other people, before we can be properly motivated, we need to love ourselves. We need to realize that Jesus died for us, that we could be free of of trying to impress people, trying to you know constantly uh, get this get this affection from places that we don't need it to. I think it's funny that you can always you can always tell parents who who um, don't like themselves because they're so bad to their kids. They'll be going through the mall or something and you can see these parents just ragging on their kids, telling them they're worthless and so on. And the reason that is is because they're not happy with themselves. So it's so important that when we respect ourselves, when we realize God says I'm this, so I'm this, then we can really actually truly start to love other people. And Jesus, and it's not one of those things where where we need to do anything. Um, it's really not anything out of the ordinary that we need to do to love other people either. It's not, it's not, you know, doing some great work, but all it needs to be is dying out to yourself daily. It's not one day, something huge, it's just day by day, doing what you can do. Dying out to yourself and say, you know what, I'm not going to live for me today. I want to live for Jesus. And it seems simple, 
but how many days do I go about my day and night? As an afterthought, I'm like, oh, wait, uh, I'm supposed to be a Christian. And I've been kind of going about this day just looking after Kevin. Uh, one of my professors in college, not, not IBC, but a professor, he had a quote that he always used. It was, never do more. I was so hoping that that was going to finish that and it would much better. Um, but he, he gave... Is this on? Hello? Hello? He gave me, yeah, the quote, do more than is, is expected, but less than is permitted. And I think that, that ditch on both sides is the same way with, with just being a person. Uh, we don't have to be some super spiritual, uh, always super giant, um, head in the clouds kind of person to be effective. We can be ourselves, we can be humans, we are people, and we can just be humans. And, and if we're just walking in, hey, God set me free, if we're walking in that liberty, that's when we can share that liberty. And, and I think there's really something to just being real. You know, when I got into church, uh, you know, I, I'm thankful if people like prayed for me at a distance. I'm thankful for that. That does a lot. Prayer works. But there's definitely something to be said about just coming up, shaking your hand, and saying, hey, you know, I'm glad that you're here. Good to see you here. Why don't you come, come hang out with us in the young adult group? Hey, you know, there's just, we're, we're humans. We, we like relationships. We need that. And so you cannot ever get so spiritually minded that we, we forget about the real deal that, that love is doing. It's not an emotion. It's not an intention. It's not a state of being or an idea, but ultimately it comes down to an action. I wonder what would have happened if Calvary would never have left the mind of God. I wonder what if when Jesus was on earth, he would have decided Calvary is a little bit inconvenient for me. I mean, the plan is there, but ultimately, you need to do it. Without the blood that was shed, without really the rubber meeting the road, it would not have happened. And love demands sacrifice. There's times where it's not going to be easy to go out of your way, out of your comfort zone, to go do something for somebody else, but love demands sacrifice. And it's not that we're looking for sacrifice in itself, but it's, it's a commitment that says, I'm committed to this ideal. I'm committed to loving people because that's what Jesus commanded me to do. That's what he did for me. So I'm committed to this ideal no matter what it costs. One of my friends pointed out to me that um, in James, no, is it James? I think it's James. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is that in James? It's in the Bible. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's scripture. We just don't know where, but it's there. And 
in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, it says, Now abide faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. So if we can't please God without faith, but charity is greater, how much do we need to love? You guys okay? All right. In James 2.14, he says, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and not works? Can faith save him? And then he goes on to give the example of if somebody in need comes to you and they need a coat, they need food, and you don't meet that need, you're not really getting it done. Now, I heard on the radio not long ago uh, an ad for a homeless person, and it was just saying that there was a homeless person out in the in the cold in the winter, and somebody driving by almost stopped and gave him a blanket. And the next person coming by almost stopped and got him a meal. And somebody else almost stopped and brought him to a shelter. And at the end of the day, he almost lived. And and I'm not saying that we need to go start a homeless shelter to be saved. No, 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 no. But what I'm saying is that we definitely do need to care for the people around us and for the spiritually homeless, the spiritually cold, the spiritually hungry that walk in here. Pastor's talking about revival, and if that does just explode, we're going to have a whole ton of people who need somebody to put their arm around them and say, hey, you're all right. I remember um, I went to Bible study, Sister Anderson's Bible study, and um, I wore shorts there. And uh, I had no, I didn't really think about it, but I wore shorts, and I just wondered what would have happened if somebody would have been like, hey, what? You know, what are you doing? Get out of here with those. You can't wear shorts in here. I would have been, like, crushed, and, but I'm glad that people just love me instead, and, you know, God will work that stuff out. And so I'm thankful for every single person who was patient with me, who waited for the Lord to take care of the, the things, and there are a lot of things left. There are a lot of things left, but I'm thankful that it's up to God to take care of those things, and it's up to us to love one another. Um, when I was out in the world, it was it was not cool. It was not cool, you know, because you were by yourself in a lot of ways. And I thought that God was somebody who who thought up this great plan to create us, but he didn't really put a lot of effort into saving us, I thought. But I remember one day when Anita was playing on the piano here in Young Adult, and I realized, she said, "Um, I'm just so glad that I know who died for me, that it wasn't, you know, God's son only, but it was also God himself. It was also the father who came himself to suffer and die. And it just hit me so, so strong that, you know, your dad in this life might not totally love you. He might have been not a very good dad. He might have done whatever. But my heavenly father, he created me with a purpose. And he didn't leave me 
He didn't leave me behind, but he came himself to pay the price. And, and I can't get over that in my spirit. Uh, I'll just I'll dwell on that and I'll think to myself, but you're not just like on the plane with an earthly dad. You're the creator. And, and you love me enough that you'll come down and suffer for me. And, and I know how bad I've been. But that just doesn't matter anymore because he put it under the blood. And that's one thing that we had an awesome uh, sermon today in chapel about just if, if God says, I forgive you, we ought to accept that. Because we cannot love anybody else if we don't accept what Calvary did. Now Jesus said, as I have loved you, when Jesus was on this earth, he sacrificed daily. He daily gave up his life to be among big, sweaty crowds of people thronging him all the time. Daily, he taught these hard-headed disciples who didn't get it. And ultimately, it led to a very real sacrifice. And I hope that I've outlined that I don't think we need to just go go out there and inflict ourselves with physical pain so we can say we lost our life in sacrifice. But just as real people, I would encourage everybody to love others a little bit more. Even if it looks like they're going to reject you because they're having a bad day. Even if it looks like they just don't even want anybody to talk to them. Love, loving somebody just in a real way, just as a person, is the only way that they're going to see the love of God. And that is, that is it. Thank you, Kevin, very much for the challenge to love people. Life can get so busy or your own circumstances can seem so tough that it almost escapes you without you even knowing you should be loving someone, that you should be caring for them. You can tell a tree by the fruit it bears. Are we His? The daily walk, the daily life. We have to watch that. We have to look at that. And the cool thing about that is, is we can look at ourselves and see our own fruit. And we know, just as well as God knows, if we're bearing fruit we're supposed to. That was a wonderful challenge to um, really just look inside of ourselves and love one another more. To let our works show the truth that we have inside. This time we're going to have Sister Nita. It is such a good presence. The very intimate presence of God in here. And all we have to do is listen. He's speaking to us. Clearly speaking to us. Let's make our mind up tonight to allow God to guide us. Be willing to be directed by Him. What an honor to have such a great and powerful God. Be willing to speak to us and guide us. Brother Kyle Bigelow is going to be coming to speak to us next. And I had a 
privilege of getting to know him through Bible college, getting to see Kyle from a distance, getting to know him is now as my barber. He cuts my hair. But without doubt, I have no reserve in saying that Kyle is a man of God. I've watched him as he loves people, as he cares for people. He cares about this Word. He loves the Word of God. And he represents it every day in his life. It's not something that he tries to put back as he goes to work or pushes to the side as he comes over to visit as a friend or he would push to the side as he worked around IBC. But it was who he was. It's who he is. I consider that a great, great feat to be able to be that kind of a man. And he has certainly uh, been a light to many. I was uh, thought it was really sweet when I got to hear his name get announced from the pulpit as reading the Bible in one year. I won't mention that his wife had done it four times more than him, but <laughs> it was really cool, man, to see you committed. And nothing has changed about your commitment since the day I first met you. And I thank you. If we could, let's welcome Brother Kyle Bigelow as he comes to speak to us. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. I deserve those accolades. I found a privilege to speak to those that did show up tonight. I don't blame you guys, because, or I don't blame whoever's not here, because I'm as poor as anybody and need as much financial peace as anybody. Um, but I do want to thank uh, Brother and Sister Barkus and Brother and Sister Titus. Lopez, the leaders of the class who have allowed us to speak tonight. Um, and then I also want to say that I really appreciate my wife, and I couldn't have asked for better friends uh, to spend my, my life with. Um, tonight, maybe we should pray one more time. Can you help me focus as much as anybody? But if you would, maybe just stand up and uh, let's go before God and just ask him to anoint the remainder of the service. may be seated. Tonight, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verses 37 and 38, a very familiar portion of scripture to all of us. And I um, wanted to say to Kevin before I begin, that hit me, uh, hit home with me because oftentimes I find myself being very reserved and it's it's hard. You can love people, but demonstrating it is another thing and putting it into action. So I, I appreciate that. Um, it says in verse 37 of Matthew chapter 9, Jesus talking, Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Um, when I read about this in this uh, the chapter that it's in, you notice Jesus going through and he 
heals a lot of people, including the woman with the issue of blood. And he raises people from the dead. And, and he does awesome miracles. And then he gives the portion of Scripture we just read, that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. And in the next chapter, he goes on to commission his disciples and to send them forth uh, as laborers into the harvest. And when I think of uh, the, the commission, I think of a messenger. And thinking of a messenger, I think of the mailman. And I kind of get ticked off thinking about our mailman. Um, the mailman's job simply is to d- deliver a package from point A to point B. And uh, it's not necessarily his fault if he delivers junk mail or delivers bills. You can't get upset at him for that, but... Uh, our mailman, living in an apartment, we've got a small mailbox. And our mailman, if, even if it's like two letters, he has mastered the art of sticking them end to end and mushing them down there and locking them in there. And he's, he's mastered the art of bad delivery. And uh, we get a little uh, upset because, you know, we'll come and we'll get a card from our mother or something. It'll be messed up, wrinkled up. Um, but God is looking for a messenger with a willing heart, somebody who will get out there and take the gospel from point A to point B and deliver it. Um, and you don't have to be the best deliverer. Just don't smush it once you get it there. <laughs> um, all through the Bible we read of, of God calling certain individuals. And uh, we read of great men of God who have fought the fight of faith and we read of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he has a vision. And uh, I like I, Isaiah's approach was, you know, he sees a seraphim and, and all these things. And then he says, woe is me, for I am, I am undone. I am a man of unclean, unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And then the seraphim took the coal and he laid it upon Isaiah's lips and the iniquity was taken away. And his sin was purged. And I, I thought of that, and I, and I was like, wow, God dealt with the sin issue right away. And he said, okay, we'll take that out of the way. And then uh, God looked for a man to sin, and Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. I'll, I'll go. And then we read of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, when Samuel was just a little boy, and, and he was kind of being mentored, I guess, by Eli. And Eli had, had laid down to, to sleep, and then Samuel gets the call from God. And uh, he comes saying, Samuel, Samuel. And, and Samuel gets up, and he goes to Eli, thinking it was Eli that called him. And he says, here am I. And, uh, you know, you called for me. What, what do you need? And he said, I didn't call for you. Go, go lay back down. And it happens again, Samuel, Samuel. And he gets up, and he goes again. And he says, here am I, you know, what do you need? He said, I didn't call you, go lay down. It happens a third time, the same exact thing. And finally, Eli says, I think it was the voice of God that had called you. Go lay back down, and when God calls you, say, speak, for thy servant heareth. Answer God and, and say, here I am. And um, sometimes I'm, I'm as reserved as anybody, but when God calls us and when he nudges us to go, do something for him, even if it's something simple to speak to somebody or to encourage somebody or uplift somebody. 
so often I find myself trying to be reserved and trying to say, no, you know, you, certainly you can't be speaking to me and certainly you can't want to use me. Uh, I find myself like Moses arguing with God in Exodus. When God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, and um, we all know the story, but they kind of argue back and forth. And I thought it was very interesting because chapter 3, verse 6 of Exodus, God reveals himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God goes on to say, he said, I've seen, I've seen the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cry. I know their sorrows. I'm kind of paraphrasing. But he said, I've come to deliver them out of Egypt and to bring them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And I can imagine Moses being pretty excited that God's going to deliver his people. But then he goes on and he says, God tells Moses that I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and I'm going to send you to be the deliverer. I'm going to send you as my messenger to bring the people out of Egypt. And at that point, Moses puts up the blocks. He says, certainly you can't be speaking to me. And he makes excuses, who am I that you would send me? God deals with that, and then Moses goes on, and he says, Lord, they won't believe me when I go. Who should I say sent me? And God says, say, I am that I am. And then um, it goes on, and Moses comes up with another excuse. We're all... At least me, I'm so good at coming up with an excuse after the other. And um, he says, I'm not eloquent. I don't have the words to say. And God finally gets ticked off. And he, he says, all right, well, I'm going to choose maybe an alternative way, and I'm going to use Aaron as your mouthpiece. And um, I don't know that that was God's first choice. I don't think it was God's first choice. He wanted to use Moses. But sometimes we push back against God so much and we're so in his face saying, no, 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 you will not use me. And uh, It's a scary thing when we get to that point. God doesn't always use the, the elect or the select of this world or the, the kingly or the priestly people, but sometimes he uses just the ordinary people just the plain Jane, the down-to-earth, the, uh, the individuals you see on the street. God can pull anybody up out of the muck and the mire and use anybody. Um, and I was thinking how dark this world is and how really it's like if you go to a deep cave. And one time I had gone inside a deep cave and we were with a tour guide and they took us in, I don't know how far, but they took us in quite a ways, and then the tour guide shut off the light that he had, and it was pitch black. Literally, I went like this and couldn't even see my hand. And at that point, you don't know your hand from a cheeseburger, and you don't know to know a cheeseburger from a wall or a cliff. You're you're lost in the dark. Um, and you look at kind of what's going on in this world today and you realize it's a dark, dark world. Even, don't really want to get into it, but 
even the president himself has, you know, unleashed all these rules and he said, hey, go ahead. It's just a choice. A baby's just a choice. Kill the baby if you want. You know, kill the the uh, the fetus um, before it's born, and it's just a choice. And everything's so relative nowadays. And um, and then he he went on in a speech at the uh, prayer breakfast. I don't know if you guys saw that or not. When he he elevated all religions kind of to the same ground and said, you know, Christianity is basically the same as Hinduism and and all these other religions, and he names them off. And then he goes on to say something that I thought was interesting. And he said, no God would take the life of an innocent human being. And I was like, wow. Yet we as Americans, we kill innocent human beings every single day in America. They're losing their lives. It's a dark, dark world. But we have hope, and Romans tells us where sin does abound, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. And the darker the night, the 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 brighter the light truly does shine. Um, in Psalms one nineteen it says, "Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path." And when you see that light, that light illuminates like you were in the darkness of the of the cave. You see that light, and you can now tell where the rocks are and where the pathway is. And you know the path to walk. And that's what God's light is for us. I guess my point would be found, and I know I've I've brought up a lot of scriptures, but my point would be found in in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, John tells us, first of all, he tells us about the light that shines in the darkness, being Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about a man sent from God whose name was John. And John was not the light, Jesus was the light. But John was simply sent to be the bearer of the light. In John chapter 1 verse 5, it says, And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. And there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. And John came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And skip down. uh, Verse 15 I don't know if I paraphrased when I typed it out or not. It says, John, bear witness of him, and cried, saying, This is he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And we see that John was, John was not the light. He was simply the messenger to carry the light, or the message of the light, to the world. And God is not searching for another light or another religion, or another God to save humanity. But God laid out the plan of salvation, and he became the light himself. And he came down to the world and and showed us how we could live and how we 
should treat each other and how we should love each other. And then he tells us that we should be the witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and, and Samaria and all these places and that we should carry the gospel. And not that we carry a different gospel or that we come up with our own gospel when we go into all the world. But that we carry his gospel. And each generation has their own people to be God's witnesses. You know, we went through Moses and we went through Isaiah, who said, "Here am I, Lord, send me." And uh, you know, Daniel's idea was, "Toss me to the lint, to the lions. I don't care. I'll still pray, and I'm still going to serve my God." And then Job, in integrity, he said, "Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him." So God is looking for another messenger in this generation. He said, the harvest truly is plenty. There's, the problem's not in the harvest. The problem's not in the number of the harvest. There's enough of them. There's more than enough of them. But the problem or the, the reservedness is in the laborers and in the messengers. And we all kind of have our own battlegrounds. We all work at different jobs. I kind of try to picture that as my my labor field for the moment. And, you know, certainly we're not having revival where I work, but you try to plant seeds here and you try to plant seeds there. And you try to, when other people are, are bickering and fighting and complaining, you try to walk uprightly and, and not get caught up with all the gossip. And, and you just try to shine and, and be that light. Um, so I'm closing because... I like to go to bed and get a lot of sleep, so I'm closing early. Just kidding. But I, I want to leave you with a poem that when we were in Bible college, Brother Mooney read this poem, and it's a really, really good poem. It, it says, it's called The Torch Bearer. It says, The God of high endeavor gave me a torch to bear. I lifted it high above me in the dark and murky, murky air. And straightway with loud hosannas, the crowd proclaimed its light and followed me as I carried my torch through the starless night. Till drunk with the people's praises and mad with vanity, I forgot it was the torch that they followed and fancied they followed me. Then slowly my arm grew weary, upholding the shiny load, and my tired feet went stumbling over the dusty road. And I fell with the torch beneath me, in a moment the light was out, when lo, from the throng of striplings sprang forth with a mighty shout, caught up the torch as it smoldered, and lifted it high again, till fanned by the winds of heaven, it fired the souls of men. And as I lay in the darkness, the feet of the trampling crowd passed over and far beyond me, its pains proclaimed aloud. And I learned in the, in the deepening twilight the glorious verity. T'was the torch that people followed, whoever the bearer may be. So I just want to challenge you to be the light, to, to carry the light, to be the messenger, and to carry the torch into the harvest.
no coincidence that Brother Bigelow and, and Brother Sinski had very like messages for us tonight. Very challenging messages for us. One of love and allowing the love to, to be manifest in our lives, not for just to be something that we hold inside. And then for Kyle to challenge us to be the laborers and to go forth and to, to be willing to say yes to God and willing to go. You could stand, and we have a small group tonight. So I think it would be appropriate for us if we could kind of move forward and maybe just fill this area up here a little bit. Around here is Sister Anita and Sister Hillary are going to sing a song for us. And let's take a minute together as a group and evaluate it.